You play a good game, boy, but the game is finished. Now you die. Boy! Do I look like someone who cares what God thinks? There's something out there waiting for us, and it ain't no man. Coffee drinker, huh? My name is Jerry, and I love horror movies, and I dislike anything that tastes like coffee. Hi, my name is John. I love horror movies, and I love coffee. Welcome to Coffee Flavored Horror, where we talk about the good, the bad, the horrifying phantasms, and the horrifyingly cheesy phantasms. Speaking of horrifyingly cheesy, let's get to the talking with Jerry and John. Hey, Jerry. Yes? Would you like to play baseball with a silver uh, ball from hell? Of course I would. <laughs> that, would what? Make, that would make baseball watchable. Exactly. What about uh, a very tall Undertaker? I, w- I would definitely play. I mean, I'd put him probably, he'd probably be good at like shortstop or maybe uh, like second base. No, that'd be good. Yeah. Maybe a pitcher. Pitcher. That's yeah. true. So let's, start, let's uh, sit down and discuss phantasms. Yes. This was written, directed, photographed, and edited by Don Coscarelli, who also did work on The Beastmaster. I love that movie. Bubba, so Hot- I. Bubba Hotep. I love that movie, too. Never saw it. And John Dies at the End. Haven't seen it. Hey, you would love John Dies at the End, Chris. <laughs> I probably Wait a minute. Would. That's a great movie. John, does John die at the end of this podcast? Spoiler alert. John doesn't die at the end of John Dies at the End. Oh, all that's right. weird. <laughs> that's kind of the point of the movie, and they've done four books, and they were all amazing, too. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah, this guy's this guy's done some good stuff. Oh, he made Chopping Mall. Yep. Oh, that's so bad. <laughs> so um, we're gonna go through the list of people that were in this movie, and most of them, this was pretty much it. Like A. Michael Baldwin, Bill Thornbury. Now Reggie Bannister was also in Bubba Hotep. He was in Silent Night, Deadly Night Four. Angus Scrim was in John Dies at the End. He was in Chopping Mall. He was in Dances with Werewolves. Okay. <laughs> Yes, I know. I can't tell the truth. Wait a minute. Dances with werewolves? Dances with werewolves. Is this like a, a, a spoof on Dances with Wolves? <laughs> Probably. Dancing with the Stars? I don't think I've, I, I have not seen Dances with Werewolves. I also haven't seen Dances with Wolves. It's we have got to find it. I mean, I've seen Avatar, so I guess I've seen Dances with Wolves. That's fair. I got. I want to say that's not right, but that's kind of fair. <clears throat> I would I would probably have been more excited to watch Dances with, with Wolves if it had aliens, flying dragons, and cool gyrocopters with missiles. But probably would not have been as historically accurate. Probably not. I did know, I did find a movie called uh, Run, the The Rats Are Here, Run, End with the Werewolves. Wow, that's a long title. Yes, it's so. So let's uh, let's talk about some of our, some of our uh, factoids and trivia. Some of the cut footage of this movie yes. they used in Phantasms 4. Okay. Which, a long time, I think would keep, you know, cutting room floor footage to use later in, in like 4. Mm-hmm. The Phantasm movies have a bizarre timeline. They're not quite as goofy as like Halloween and Friday the 13th that jump over the place, but this thing... There were definitely some issues with consistency from movie to movie. Have you ever tried to put the whole thing in ti- like timeline order? No, I did not. Okay. Uh, this whole thing came out when Reggie Bannister, who was a friend of Don Coscarelli, got together and they were originally going to adapt Ray Bradbury's novel, Something We Get This Way Comes. And it was going to star A. Michael Baldwin and Don McCann from Kenny and Company. However, they started working on this plot and then found out that Bradbury just sold the rights of it to Disney, which came out with Something We Get This Way Comes in 1983. So Coscarelli decided to come with a different idea for the plot. They started working on the pl- on, on adapting it before they got the rights to it. And then they were going to go with, hey, we got this idea for this movie. They were partway through writing it when they suddenly came up with the idea that when they when they suddenly realized that Disney uh, got it. And Disney made an excellent movie. Something with like this becomes is a really good movie. Definitely would watch that over and over again, not drink some coffee. But so they, they, they basically took their initial plot and then moved things around. You can kind of see some of the, the look of this. Well, one of the things they did uh, to make the, the little sentinels, the, the spheres, mm-hmm. they actually used a pro baseball pitcher to throw them. Cool. This, this movie was made on a two-string budget, and Das Cascarelli rented all of the filming equipment to make this movie. 
And he always did it on Fridays so he could then use it all weekend and return it on Mondays, basically only paying one day's rent. On I the love equipment. that fact. That's... And so this thing was, was basically shot Gonzo style. <laughs> and I love that so much. I guess the original movie was three hours long. <laughs> That's cool. Maybe a, it should be three hours. Yeah. It's definitely could use some padding, but it's still a good movie. Um, so Motorhead released a song called Ace of Spades a year after this came out. And in New York screening of the movie, uh, Lemmy Kilmeister said that when he watched the, the movie that Mike's had to look at Ace of Spades and he ended up watching this movie and writing the lyrics to Ace of Spades on a notepad while watching this film. And he used a pencil that had been giving him, given him to that earlier that day by David Soule, who was in Salem's Lot. Oh, okay. So the song Ace of Spades was an amazing <clears throat> song by Motorhead. Had a lot of its inspiration by Lemmy basically sitting and watching this movie and writing with stuff given to another horror actor. So just some fun little little things that we picked up off the internet. You're right. Well, the title so. of the movie, uh, Phantasms, was mm-hmm. uh, taken from Edgar Allan Poe's work. Okay. He thought it was a, a, a great idea for a name of a horror movie. That sounds good. Anything you take from Poe and, and adapt to make it scarier is always a good start. And something that's very obvious for that movie was that this movie had a lot was had a lot of Dos Equis in it. And <laughs> uh, they had a promotion with the brewing company. At one point, they got so much Dos Equis that Don Coscarelli went to his production manager's house and found 50 to 100 cases of Dos Equis in the garage. There were t- times that the cast and crew would simply drink some Dos Equis for breakfast as that's part of the great. show. Um, but it shows up a lot in this movie. They needed the bottles for the sets, man. Exactly. <laughs> right? Which probably explains, I'm, I, I do have a question. I'm wondering if, if that's where they got the, the drums at the end of the movie, too. Oh, maybe. The, the funny thing about it is that while you see Dos Equis everywhere, and if you're looking for it, you see it, it is still nowhere near as blatant as some of the product promotion we see these days. No, it's not. It was still a lot of fun. That, and even if, you, if you're not looking for it, it's really easy to miss, too. Yeah. So... I assume that there's there's reference to a tall man here. I assume that is the the reference to the devil from something that wicked this way comes. You wish who provides all? No, <laughs> no. okay, because no. well, it's obvious that Angus Grimm was going would have would have probably is the same kind of character. But yeah, the tall man is Angus Grimm's character. Okay, who is uh, super tall? He's super strong. He's the Undertaker. He's boy. He's a very scary looking guy. But he's not really the devil. No, not even close. He's not the devil at all. No. He's just evil. But he's uh, just in evil. fact, what is he? He's an alien. He's an, he's an, he's you really going to throw that one at me? What? He's an alien? When we get to the rest of the plot of the movie, that, 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 I mean, obviously <laughs> he's an alien. He's not human. Okay. <laughs> he's super strong. I mean, he, they actually gave him uh, lift shoes to make him appear taller. But I mean, right. He, I mean, he picks a coffin up with one hand and carries it, a full coffin around and carries it around. I mean, the Undertaker does that. Not a full coffin. No, that's true. <laughs> so, all right. So we talked about it. Let's, uh, let me, let's jump into the, the plot of this movie. Real quick summary, of course, spoilers are coming. This opens with a boy named Tommy who's having sex in the cemetery with a lady in lavender. Who the hell's Tommy in the first one? They tell you, well, I'll tell you in a second. Um, So (laughs) do you see the interest Tommy? He's having sex with a woman called Lady in Lavender. She's played by both Kathy Lester and a body double, Laura Mann. In the middle of having sex, she turns into the tall man, Angus Grimm, you know, six foot tall old guy. Um, And she kills Tommy post-coitus. So... Flash forward a couple days later, and Tommy's <laughs> friends, Jody and Reggie, who are Thornsbury and Bannister, show up at the funeral, and basically Tommy's the instigating incident that brings everybody else into this. So he's their friend. He's part of their band. Okay. Okay. Meanwhile, Jody's younger brother, Mike, uh, who's like 12 or 13, gets curious and starts uh, kind of hiding at the funeral. He notices weird things, like there's a bunch of hooded little people running around, some strange noises, and then Mike witnesses the tall man, Angus Scrim, pick up the coffin and place it in the hearse by himself. Mike goes to a very strange fortune teller and tells her about what he saw and the fact that he's upset because his parents are dead and they died the year before. Right. And now his brother is leaving him. And so he's going to be left pretty much on his own. And There's not much thought of that, is there? No. Uh, they basically 
give Mike a dune box. You know, you put your hand in the box, you feel pain. Yes. Kind of um, <laughs> I thought that when they brought that thing out. I was like, yeah. I'll just put your hand in the box. And they teach him about fear and overcoming his, his the, the powers in the mind. They basically teach him to be more mentally stable. Uh, meanwhile, Reggie and Jody get together and, and kind of reminiscing about Tony or Tommy. They play music and tune their guitars with a tuning fork. The tuning fork comes in. That's a, This is... While it's cute to see them play music, the tuning fork comes in later it on. Has, yes, it has. It, a, it, it, it is a it is a Chekhov's gun. Later on, the lady in lavender seduces uh, older brother Jody, but Mike, being creepy, is watching his brother hook up, <laughs> uh, stalks them, and because he makes noise and kind of distracts Jody, Jody leaves the girl before they finish having sex, and Jody is, is, is saved by his when, brother's creepy stalkerness. When Jody was there, is watching his brother have sex. Mm-hmm. Did you notice that his brother found you know sees him and goes after him, but yet he still has the girl's panties in his mouth? Yes. He's chasing his brother like, hey, no, he come back. And he still has the pair of panties hanging out of his mouth as he's trying to get his brother come. To- oh. All right. So after that, there are several nightmares where, where uh, Mike sees the tall man. And there's actually an attempt on his life in the garage where uh, Mike is working on one of their vehicles. So Mike decides to break in the funeral home. Once he's there, he encounters the caretaker, the tall man, and the ball, which is a big sphere that flies around with a drill and some spikes on it. Mm-hmm. And he also sees a bunch of little people, which are the dwarves. He nearly, nearly escapes. Uh, he ends up cutting off some of the tall man's fingers in a door with the door. The fingers ooze yellow blood. And he takes one of the fingers as evidence and puts it in a box. That's still moving. By the yes. Way. So finally, with these fingers as evidence, Jody finally believes his brother. Um, however, while they're trying to hold on to it, the il- finger turns into an alien insect, which the brothers destroy in the garbage disposal once their friend Reggie shows up. <laughs> so they now know something's I, going on. Very strange. And uh, Reggie's just Reggie. Reggie shows up. They're like, yeah, there's aliens. He's like, okay, I'm in. Now, Jody decides to go by himself to investigate the funeral home, but he really gets in the fight with one of the dwarves and is almost run down by the hearse. Once he takes care of the hearse, they discover that it was driven by the corpse of Tommy. Tommy's now turned into a yellow-blooded dwarf. So they bring Reggie back in on the conspiracy. The brothers decide they they need to go back to the funeral home. And shenanigans ensue. This ends up with Reggie going missing. Two girls who are just friends of theirs get captured. And Mike gets grabbed by the tall man after escaping in his own bedroom. So the brothers reunite with Reggie at the funeral home after more shenanigans. They discover the tall man is taking corpses and turning the corpses into dwarf-sized monster slaves before sending them through a portal to an alien world. Uh, the ball returns and comes after Mike, but Jody shoots with a shotgun. The trio gets separated a third time. Reggie uses his tuning fork knowledge to overload the portal, causing the house to get sucked into another world. He's then stabbed by the Lady in Lavender as the brothers watch. Then there's a series of chases, hallucinations, and setups, and they finally manage to drop the tall man down a thousand-foot mineshaft, after which... Mike suddenly wakes up at home to find out that in actuality, Jody's dead, Reggie's still alive, and he starts talking to Reggie about it. He starts thinking about whether this is a dream when all of a sudden the tall man appears above him and pulls him into a portal. Right when he goes, boy! Yep. Crashes End through the window movie. and pulls him through. This is awesome. Yes, it is. <laughs> I need to watch this movie. Yes, it is. First off, I went and read about the tall man. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, the tall man is a cosmic horror like a Cthulian entity yes yeah yes he's an alien took this poor dude's body after he like figured out how to time travel with the machine mm-hmm. that's that's how Jebediah Morningstar is that his name I think later on that's, that, that's, in later, that's in later movies yeah that's what the tall man's original Morningstar yes tall, the tall man's original name is Jebediah Morningstar who built a time machine slash portal he basically became a time lord yeah like you yeah Dr. So, Who did. so you you get to see the other world actually uh the red planet yeah Mike, Mike actually falls through into it it's there's a line of dwarves and so they're Jawas. <laughs> yeah. They, they, they crush, they, they crush the corpses down, reanimate them as slaves. And they make them shorter and squatter so they can survive in the higher gravity. There. Yeah. And that's, that's the goal of the tall man is to become the Lord of the dead. I suppose yes. you find this out in later phantasm yes. movies. Yes. This yes. is you, fascinating. You find, oh, I, there's a reason this, there's a reason this is an influential movie. It's all over the place, but it makes sense. And we haven't emphasized enough. 
just how cool Reggie is in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> if this was made today, people would be suspect of Reggie because he's a like middle-aged man with a ponytail who drives around yeah, in an ice, ice cream, cream truck. truck. Let's, let's go to the good then. Let's yeah. talk about Reggie. Yes. This is the good. The this good. The good. The good. The good. Reggie's awesome. He's a bald guy with a ponytail. He drives around an ice cream truck with, and he also has his guitar with him. He's an action hero and the minute his friends like give him any evidence that shit's going down, Reggie's like, I'm in and then goes <laughs> in the full action hero mode. It's like Reggie might actually be like the star of the rest of the series. I think he is. But And, and he was one of the writers and all this. But you look at him, you, you, he's a weird character, not somebody you expect to be one of the main protagonists. You think he's going to be comic relief and he's not. No. Yeah. Uh, and while the ball man ponytail <laughs> thing is really goofy looking on most people and it is on him initially, he just rocks it and owns it. You're like, okay, Reggie's just cool. We, we I, need Reggie. We need Reggie in our, in our, in our groups. I think, so. and also in the later on movies. Yes. Uh, he always has this. I think he always wears the ice cream outfit. Yes, he does. Yeah. <laughs> I liked the fact that they used a lot of dialogue to give backstory. They don't monologue. They give information by call and repeat mm-hmm. and talking about things and asking questions. Like one of the things that they, they, they realize is when their parents died a year ago in the, in the mysterious car accident, they brought their parents to this funeral home. Yeah. Go ahead. By the way, that is the proper way to do exposition in, in any kind of storytelling is not to just tell people stuff, but yep. to like weave it into things like conversations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Another good thing is when Jody is starting to just learn about the tall man. He goes to that antique store yep. and finds like a, a, a picture of him. He's mm-hmm. on a horse and carriage. Oh, yeah. And all of a sudden, the picture just turns and just looks at him. You know why that is? From what I read, the entity that becomes the tall man like made a thousand duplicates of the body. And oh, he's like, okay. And he spreads himself across dimensions. That's it's cool. It's fascinating. Like, it's a fascinating thought. It's it's almost like somebody read uh, Mass, like, like uh, Narlathotep. Yep. And you're like, Realized about the thousand massive Narlathotep and they like did a version of Narlathotep. <laughs> I think a little bit of this, like the look of the look of the tall man, the whole 1800s thing with the carriage, right? <clears throat> the antique store, the fortune teller, that's all stuff that you could see was influenced by them writing something wicked this way comes. Th- this movie has a lot of Bradbury in it. And I'm not saying that they, they ripped them off. It's like they were writing. It, it's not a Bradbury thing, but it's influence. You could see the feel. Oh. And that's part of why the story is more coherent than it should be. Yeah, everything in storytelling pretty much you can take a look back and see where mm-hmm. it came from there everything influences everything else like there's at some point you can see the direct ripoffs and things like that or the parodies or the, the stuff like that but in reality it's just homages and and um evolutions of yeah. ideas together so the next thing i liked was that mike has some seriously good survival skills little things like he goes to hide himself in a coffin right yes and so as he gets in the coffin he closes the lid and he pulls his lighter out and just sticks his lighter in the lid so that he can close the lid quietly but the lid doesn't close all the way and lock him in the coffin and still gives him a little crack to see what's going on it's a little detail but you're like that's a good idea and this kid's got like you understand why this kid keeps surviving because he's got some nice instinctive skills and does little things that you're like how often you see people just crawl into something they're trying to prop it up go ahead well not only that he does a straight MacGyver thing with a shotgun shell. Oh, yeah. He takes like a hammer and like duct tapes a nail into it on the bottom of a shotgun shell and then hits the door handle. So it, it would shoot and destroy the door handle so he can get out of the lock room. Yes. He doesn't have a gun, but he's got a shotgun shell. That's really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This kid's, this kid's got some, got some <clears throat> skills. Uh, his brother gives him some good gun advice when he finally like, okay, I'm going to give my 13-year-old brother a gun. Right. <laughs> he's like, okay, don't point this gun at anybody unless you plan to take him down, but then take him down. He's, he's like okay, it's time to gun up. Or It's like he stops to give his little brother some actual gun advice and it makes him seem more brotherly and also just make it, it makes him more of a responsible character. 
it's a cute little tweak that adds more to his character that makes me like him. He gives him gun advice, but yeah. let's not forget, he just gives him a dirt bike we'll and talk, let him go that, that, crazy. That, that's in the bad. We'll talk about in the bad in a second. <laughs> <laughs> the weird little song that they sing, that, that, that the two, that, that uh, Jody and Reggie sing. And what is that song? Did I don't know the name of the song, but it's, it's catchy. It's fun. It is catchy. It could have been a bad song. It's, it doesn't just introduce the tuning fork, which is important for how Reggie later on knows how to adjust the harmonics to destroy right. the portal. But it's also a cute little catchy song. You're not sitting there going, oh, it's the obligatory song in the middle. It's like, okay, that's kind of cool. I would, I could kind of bop to that. It's kind of nice. Another thing is real good is a, it's just a different kind of horror. Yes. It's not, it's not a slasher film. Nope. It's not like a movie monster film. Nope. It's not, I, I want to say it's not supernatural really. It, oh, it is. It's, I mean a little bit, but it's not. I think Chris hit it on the head. I think this is cosmic horror. I think Chris is a Chris. Chris I never horror. thought of this movie as cosmic horror until now. And now I do. Huh. It's because of, of all the underpinnings. Sorry. I didn't mean to jump in there. But no, yeah, no, no, that's perfect. No, that, that jumped in. You give us a better time. To... And of course, like <laughs> the other good thing in the movie is boy. Anka <laughs> Scrim's delivery in this movie is top notch. So the bad. Oh, the bad. boy. Is so, there some bad parts of this movie? And most of it's his character actions. Okay. This was the seventies and eighties. But the fact that this little 13 year old kid is like running around <laughs> peeping on his brother, having sex and kind of incurred. It's like, that's just not cool. Also yeah. during the sex scene, <laughs> Well, just before, just before the sex scene, when Jody thinks that, when, when Jody, well, actually, after the sex scene, when Micah saved Jody from the later, Lady in Lavender, Jody still thinks he wants to go back and get back with her. He's like, you got to go home. So gives his 13-year-old brother the car keys and says, you go drive home because he's going to go back and get some. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not really responsible. No, he's not. But on the side, I mean, you also and, have uh, Mike right, with his little dirt bike mm-hmm. driving through the graveyard. Yep. Like, he's just weaving in in between tombstones and everything else like doesn't you know who cared he's a hoodlum <laughs> yeah yes he's a hoodlum uh, growing up in, in where, where i grew up we had problems with kids on with with uh motorcyclists dirt bikers and uh snowmobilers going through people's property we lived out in the country and they would just tear things up constantly uh, to the point where one of the people put up uh some barbed wire at like six inches so they could catch the the tines of people's snowmobiles when they came through their yard at night <laughs> oh, um yeah it was it was bad so that's definitely hoodlum stuff. I didn't really realize mm-hmm. until you brought it up that at the end of it, it was all a dream. Is it a dream? I don't know. That's the problem. You don't know. This movie was left deliberately ambiguous. So Mike, the reason that the tall man's after Mike is because Mike is also a reality warper. Mm-hmm. So these two people together keep skewing reality, which is why probably this movie feels like, is it a dream? What's oh going God, on? What's real and yes. what's not? Yeah. So be, with those two pieces together, now, I don't know that you find that out in the first movie. No, you don't. Nope. Yeah. No. So we're spoiling stuff apparently for later movies. But because of that, that's probably why <clears throat> this feels so bizarre to everybody that watches like what is real and what is not because reality is constantly being shifted and changed. I mean, that makes a whole lot of sense. If they add more of that, like storyline, like they brought it more to the front. Yeah. The whole, this, the whole series would be phenomenal. Yeah. I don't think they were planning on making a series. I, I don't think it, they were. I guess yeah, it's yeah. just a, a, a one-off. <clears throat> uh, the one thing I didn't find, I didn't get grab. I don't know what the, Chris, if you could look up the box office on this and see if we find out what this thing means. Sure. Yeah, no problem. Yep. But meanwhile, we'll jump into the, the cheesy parts of this movie. Uh, it's got a little bit of cheese in it. Not a lot. No. Uh, uh, one of the cheeses is the, the fortune teller's daughter. Yeah. And how, well, first it's, it's the fortune teller and her, and her daughter is both cheesy because she, the, her mother is not talking. Correct. She kind of like leans in and she's like, oh, mother said da, 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 da. You know, it's like she, her lips didn't move. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's not a great acting. And it, it's, it's another act. We, we've seen this in other movies where they, they kind of got kind of like a, a, a spaced out California surfer girl, obviously high on yeah. drugs. Who's just going, Hey, yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, Jody. Yeah, yeah. He won't leave you. 
grandmother says. <laughs> but it's, it's not bad. It just is a little cheesy. The worldwide box office for this movie was $22 million. Oh, nice. I know what, what I, and I know it was a shoestring budget, right? Yeah. 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 So this movie had lots of Dune references in it. I mean, there's the, there's the, the sand, there's the sand planet. There's the pain the, box. <laughs> the pain box, the people dressed. I mean, uh, the author was a fan of Dune. Okay. And, and so there's a lot sense, of references though. in this thing. Of course, the ultimate cheesy thing is the monster puppet, uh, alien monster bug. I originally said it looked like a Muppet and it does. If you're a gamer, it looks like somebody attacked them with a bags that bite. <laughs> That's <laughs> funny. It is. <laughs> It's, 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 it's literally just like a little foam thing with a mouth and two eyes. That's the alien bug that, that they end up sho- shoving down the, uh, the, the garbage disposal. But, uh, I know and we, that I, thing was strong as all hell too. Yes, it was. That thing, like they capture it in a, in a, someone's coat and yet it still has enough force and strength to like whip the person around who's holding it. So yes. they're, they're fighting into their, oh, they're, they're slamming against the, the walls and everything else. And this thing's trying to, it's, it's it, 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 it worked. So it made it terrifying. Yeah. So, so is that thing horrific or cheesy it's cheesy well it's it's cheesy when you see it because when you see it it's obviously a muppet uh-huh i mean once it's inside the coat and doing stuff then you're really worried this thing is going to get out yes um and it almost does i mean it, it, it takes the three of them and a garbage disposal to stop this do, thing do you guys think that because it looks kind of cheesy that like well that's stupid and then starts doing terrible things it makes it more horrifying no okay no, no. <laughs> never mind because no. i was still picturing the horrible cheesy muppet yeah. bug yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah. I just now know that the horrible cheesy Muppet bug can whoop my ass. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, it's not great. It's cheesy, but it's still fun. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned before, uh, it's just kind of cheesy that you've got Reggie driving around in this open topped old, sti- <laughs> old style uh, ice cream, ice cream truck. And he's driving around with it, which actually gives you a little bit because at one point uh, the tall man walks past and the cold from yes. the ice cream truck. You find out that he can't take the cold. Uh, yeah, he finds that he, he doesn't like the cold. Um, this is before Reggie realizes that the tall man is is a bad guy. He's just refilling his his ice cream truck from one of the stores, and when he opens the back freezer, the tall man is walking by and kind of like stops. Is affected. Yeah, and so. I, I think they play with that idea in later films. I would hope so. It's been a while since I've seen the others, so we'll see. I mean, there's seven of them, maybe six, four. I think there's four. I could mm-hmm. be wrong. I'll look it up. Yes. But let's jump from the cheesy because, like I said, the cheese in this isn't strong and it doesn't take away from the movie. At no, no point, it, it, it's noticeable, but not distra- not distracting. Um, so let's get into the, what's the horrific oh, part of the movie. It's, it's the balls. Yes. The, set, or the, the sentinels. They're just a silver ball that kind of like flies through the air. <clears throat> and when they get close to their target, they have these little prongs that pop up and they slam into your forehead. And then a drill comes out and drills into the middle of your forehead. <laughs> And then a and suction a, pump. And then a suction pump turns on and shoots the blood about 90 feet behind it. <laughs> yeah. In so, a stream of blood just... Yeah. It, it, it basically drills into you and kills you. And uh, Which is why that the tagline for, I think it was the second movie, was, the ball is back. Yes. So, yes, Chris. There are five Phantasm movies. Oh, okay. Because in 2016, a movie came out called Phantasm Ravager. Yes. Okay. Which was the final movie in the series. Cool. Okay. I've not seen all the Phantasm movies yet. Fun little fact about the, the, the Sentinels, though. There's a game out there called Turok. Okay. And one of the games or one of the guns you can find in Turok is called the Brain Bore. Yes. And you can lock onto your enemy and shoot it. And you, you shoot a you shoot a sentinel ball. Okay. And it flies and you know it locks on, but then it hits the person in the head and then it does the same thing, blood spraying out, and he's like running around in a circle with a ball attached to his head. I wonder if that's is that is that Turok based the dinosaur hunter? Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's that game. Yeah. Okay. I need the comic book. I didn't that's cool. <laughs> The next horrific thing I would say is just the tall man. They do a great job of making Angus Grimm uh, and his character mysterious, dark, looming, and intimidating. And until you like really brought up tonight about being like, something like cosmic horror, 
he actually fits that too. Mm-hmm. I always thought he was kind of like, I don't know, like a demon or some weird, like super, not, not supernatural, but a, a, a person from a different dimension. Yeah. That's what I meant by alien. That's exactly what he is, by the way, yeah. a person from a different dimension. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he's not, but the thing inside of the shell yeah. is. Okay. Yes. Which you never really find out about. Not in this movie, at least. <sighs> and then we get the weird dimension. Yeah. The other dimension is they give you just enough of it to know that it's. It's like red. It's red. It's horrifying. Sandy. It's got this ominous group of people just marching off the distance. Yeah. They're shipping. It's, it's a great evidence of show, not tell. Mm-hmm. And also does a really good job of giving you just enough to know that it's scary but not enough that you start questioning too much. They don't have to, it's alien dimension. It's weird and you don't want to be there. And that's all you really need to know. Like you said, they show a little bit of it mm-hmm. and, you know, instantly you want to find more about you know, this, this world, this new dimension and things like that. But I mean, it works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, boy, yes. will you drink the horror flavored coffee or would you rewatch this show? Oh, I would watch this movie again in a heartbeat. <laughs> I like me some phantasm. Oh, it's that. A lot of our phantasms are good, though. All of them are. It is phantasmastic. We just wanted to say thank you to IMDb. It's where we get most of our information from when we're researching these things. Also, Wikipedia, but Wikipedia has a billion links. And uh, thank you so much for listening to Coffee Flavored Horror.